welcome back to The Pew, everybody. I am your host, John Edwards, and I am so excited again to be bringing you one of these bonus episodes of Just a Guy in the Pew. Because of the patrons and the generous support of so many of you that listen and watch, we've been able to get some of this video equipment and to add some video segments to our audio podcast, and it's allowed us to interview some of our favorite Catholic speakers and priests, and uh, yesterday a bishop, Bishop Talley of Memphis. But uh, I am so excited today to continue that with bringing on another priest, one of my favorite priests to listen to and to follow, and that is Father Josh Johnson. But first, before I bring him up, I want to tell you a little bit about him. Uh, If you don't know who Father Josh Johnson is, he is a priest in the Diocese of Baton Rouge. He is also the Director of Vocations for the Diocese of Baton Rouge. Uh, He's the host of the Ask uh, Father Josh podcast, and he does tons of things for Ascension. Um, He's also the author of Broken and Blessed. He's also authored The Pocket Guide to Adoration, and he's now the co-author of a new book out with Father Mike Schmitz called The Pocket Guide to the Sacrament of Reconciliation. So without further ado, after uh, telling you all the things that Father Josh has been able to accomplish here, uh, I want to bring him up and say hi to my friend, Father Josh Johnson. What's up, John? How are you, man? Pretty good. Thanks for being with us. I've been excited about this interview for some time now, and I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to start off, like, I, I love to start off when we have priests on, just talking about, you know, your vocation story, just kind of going over that real quickly about how God called you to the priesthood and how you were able to discern that and, and, and become what you are today. Yeah, you know, so I, my mom is Catholic and my dad's Methodist, and uh, growing up, I, I never liked the Catholic Church growing up. I thought Mass mm. was boring. I didn't like the rules of the Catholic Church. I didn't understand the teachings of the Catholic Church, and so... Whenever I was in high school, I noticed that both my older brothers, after confirmation, uh, they left the church. And so I viewed confirmation not so much as a sacrament of grace, but more as graduation from the Catholic Church. And mm-hmm. so my, my plan was to receive the sacrament of confirmation and to imitate my brothers and never step foot in the Catholic Church again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that night, uh, one of my classmates uh, in our PSR uh, religious ed program, Brandy, she uh, she saw me at the reception after confirmation. And she said, hey, um, I've been going to this conference every year called Steubenville South. Do you want to come with me this summer? And for some reason, I said, yeah, I would love to go. And I didn't want to go. I didn't want to do anything with the Catholic Church. Um, <laughs> but I said I would love to go. And so I tried to back out. I said, look, I don't have any money. She said, I'll pay for you. I don't have a car. I'll pick you up. <laughs> and we went to Steubenville South and on June 26, 2004 at 8 o'clock p.m. during Eucharistic Adoration of the Blessed Sacrament with Bishop Sam Jacobs following the talk by Paul George, uh, who's a good friend of mine. Uh, I came face to face with Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. The bishop processed throughout the crowds of maybe like four or 5,000 teenagers and we became face to face with each other, he and I in the Eucharist. And I don't know, man, I never believed in the the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist growing up. And that night, as I was face to face with Jesus, the Lord gave me the grace to believe. And I fell to my knees because I was aware that it was Jesus Christ who I was looking for the entire time. Uh, Whenever I was grasping at uh, sinful relationships and and, and other sins and also just good things that weren't God, uh, that it was Jesus Christ in the Eucharist that I was looking for. And so I asked him what his will was, what his plan was for my life. And the first words I perceive from from God in prayer, uh, and I say I perceive because I don't want to sound like people who act like they're mystics and they are like <laughs> infallible, that like God told me this. I'm like, no, nah, sure. I'm not playing that game um, because <laughs> I'm not uh, the Pope and I'm not speaking from the chair of Peter. So, um, sure. yeah, so I, I perceive the Lord just telling me, Josh, I love you. And I was in mortal sin, John. I had not been to confession in a long time. 
And if I had been a confession, it was it wasn't a real confession. Uh, I sure. just went in there, said something to get to get a penance and go. And so he said, I love you. I perceived him say that. And he didn't say I used to love you before you began to live a life of mortal sin. He didn't say I'm going to love you again after you go to confession. He just saw me and my mess and in my imperfections and in my sins. And he loved me. And so my heart was just pierced at that moment. Uh, and I, I knew at that moment that I wanted to be in an intentional relationship with Jesus Christ, specifically in the Eucharist. Um, I also, in that time of prayer during the the uh, holy hour, or I forgot how long, maybe it was more than an hour, but during that time of prayer before the Eucharist, I also began to have thoughts of the priesthood. Um, I perceived an invitation from the Lord, but I didn't know how to discern that, and I didn't want that either, because um, mm -hmm. I, I didn't want to be Catholic before that night. And <laughs> so I ended up leaving the conference and Pretty much every day after, I would go to an adoration chapel, and I would sit with the Lord. And that's the only place where I was at peace. That's the only place where I could rest. Mm -hmm. And in prayer, I kept perceiving the Lord um, invite me. I couldn't stop thinking about the priesthood. And I had people start telling me, hey, have you ever thought about the priesthood? And um, I didn't want that at all. And, but I knew I wanted Jesus in the Eucharist. And so because he fulfilled me and because he, he made me happy, uh, I decided to apply to seminary, not because I wanted to be a priest, but because I wanted to make God happy because um, I wow. knew that he fulfilled me. So it was more like, Jesus, you fulfilled me. I think you're asking me to do this. I don't want to do this, but I love you, so I'll do it for you. Father um, Pedro Rupe has that, that quote, um, there's nothing more practical than finding God, um, fall in love in a quite absolute way. Um, fall in love, stay in love, and love decides everything. It decides what time you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, what you watch on TV, what breaks your heart, what gives you joy. And so because I fell in love with Jesus, I just wanted to make him happy. I wanted to fulfill his, his desires, and I perceived him desire that he wanted me to be a priest. So I went to seminary, and at first I was hoping that he would tell me to leave and that I wasn't called to be a priest, <laughs> that he just wanted to test my love. But eventually sure. what happened is, is while I was in seminary, I began to um, learn more about the priesthood, and I began to desire the priesthood. I began to desire to share the sacraments with other people. And after eight years of formation, I was ordained on May 31st, 2014, and so— uh, it's just been a great gift ever since. Wow. Well, thank God for that persistent friend of yours that <laughs> that did all that. Yeah, because yeah you, she was you, very persistent. Right. You've been a gift, and it was it's very obvious that God you know, wanted you to fulfill a role in his kingdom that you're doing very well. So thank you for that and for her and for sharing that. Um, uh, one thing that since you brought up this and we were talking about uh, just your struggles there with trying to decide, is this something you really want to do? What's God calling me to do? Where's my will? Where Where's his? Yeah. I think a lot of people, um, young people, young men, are struggle, struggle with that. I, you know, I work with a lot of focused missionaries here in Memphis and in Nashville and some other places, have relationships with them. And it seems like there's a lot of guys, it seems like every year there's one or two in the groups that I'm running with. They're like, man, I, I feel like I'm being called to the priesthood, but you know, there's also this cute girl I like, or there's also, you know, I don't know, I kind of want to be a dad and have a family. And, and so how do you, what do you say to young people that are in that place that, you yeah. know, maybe a little bit different than where you were, but also facing with what, it, what is God calling me to? And what do I want for my life? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the general call of God is for all of us to become saints. And so as long as we're abiding in a state of grace, that's God's will for us. God wants to be in a relationship with us um, in the sacraments life of the church. And so uh, the Lord gives us freedom. Um, he will invite us, certainly, um, to discern the priesthood. But if we say no, he's not going to be mad. He's not going to get angry. He's not going to say, I'm not going to let you be a saint now. Or I'm not going to bless you if you choose marriage. The Lord wants us to abide in relationship with him. And so I tell guys to put discernment on the shelf and focus on Jesus. 
mm-hmm. and to pay attention to your thoughts, your feelings, and your desires. Uh, what thoughts continue to come up? And then if you keep thinking about it, people keep mentioning this to you, then then bring it to a, a priest and a vocation director because you don't discern the priesthood apart from the church. It's like sure. you don't discern marriage apart from a girl. So like you might see mm-hmm. a girl at school and she's cute. You're like, man, like that she's super attractive. I want to marry her. But if you don't know her name, if you never met her, then you can't <laughs> yeah, discern sure. marriage with her. So you have to begin a sure. conversation with her, invite her to, to go on a few dates so you can discern together. And she then is free to say, no, you don't impose on her. We're going to get married. You propose. Will you marry me? And so you discern with another person. And the same thing is true with a vocation to the priesthood of religious life. You discern with the church. We will walk with you. And then we might even say, you know what? We don't think you're called. We, we know you're called to be a mm-hmm. saint, but like we don't see you been, uh, being a gift to the church in this way and the church being a gift to you in this way. And so we would encourage you to discern religious life or to discern marriage, uh, but not diocesan and priesthood. And so uh, it's, it's uh, I think sometimes we put so much pressure because um, uh, we, we, we think that we can get it wrong. But as long as you're holy, you're not going to get it wrong. God wants you to do whatever you want to do as long as you are holy. Um, and so just be holy and, and the rest is really up to you. God says to us, uh, my will is your will. So what do you want to do? As long as you are in a state of grace, the Lord gives us freedom. And so uh, if we have that thought in our head over and over again, um, if we have had moments in prayer where we perceive, like myself, an invitation to discern the priesthood, then I just say, just go for it. Like call the vocation director, start praying, um, having a, a real consistent role of life. And the only place that you can discern the priesthood is in seminary. You can't discern the priesthood if you're not in seminary. Like You can't discern religious life outside of a convent. So you have to go sure. to the place that's conducive. And so just give it a shot. And if you leave, a lot of guys leave. I know some of the best guys I know who are great husbands and fathers um, or missionaries uh, were former seminarians. And they went to seminary to discern. They discovered they weren't called. And now they're becoming saints in other ways. And so uh, we don't have to put so much pressure on ourselves because the church wants to accompany us in this discernment. Does that make sense? Yeah, it certainly does. I mean, it's it's a very good answer. I think it's something that's going to help a lot of people uh, when they hear that coming from someone who's who's been there and experienced it. So, um, you know, you mentioned a couple times, and this is something that's near and dear to my heart. I'm a convert, and I was Baptist, you know, growing up for 18 years of my life. And mm. of course, with with uh, being Protestant, there's a huge focus on the relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Not that there isn't in the Catholic Church, but when you come in as a Protestant, you almost yeah. like when you say relationship with Jesus. Sometimes Catholics look at you and go, "Like that's a that's a Protestant thing. Like what's what are you doing over here?" But honestly, that's at the core of the Catholic faith is yeah. is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, would you talk about that for a minute? Because I think there's we have tons of people that are Catholic and in the church that are sitting in the pews, and that's one of the hopes of my ministry is just a guy in the pew mm-hmm. is calling to folks in the pew that are there, we're checking the box, we're there every weekend and doing the things we're supposed to do. But do we have that relationship with Jesus Christ? Do we know him? Have we met him? And can we take that to other people? I'd love to hear your opinion on that. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a big difference between knowing about Jesus and actually knowing the person Jesus. Um, In order to know Jesus Christ, we have to spend time with him in prayer, um, and we need to listen to his voice in the Word of God and the sacred scriptures. And so it's really vital for any Catholic um, uh, who wants to grow and become the saint God is calling us to be, to set apart specific, intentional, consistent time with Jesus Christ in the Word of God, to listen to his voice, to share our hearts. Um, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, Saint Teresa of Calcutta, one time she was speaking with uh, some of her, her sisters, some of the, the nuns, the missionaries of charity, and she said to them, I'm worried about some of y'all. Like, I'm worried that some of you still don't know Jesus, that you still haven't seen with your own eyes, whether he looks at you, you haven't heard with your own ears the words that he speaks to you. Um, and so even those of us who are in consecrated life, some of us might not actually have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And the, the fruits of that are always going to be negative because if we don't know Jesus Christ, how are we going to share Jesus Christ? And so God is calling all of us to, to know his voice, to hear him speak. God spoke to a donkey in the Old Testament. He spoke to people. He spoke to angels. He spoke in people's dreams while they were awake and asleep. God wants to talk to you and I today. And the primary way that he's going to do that um, is, is through our relationship with him in prayer through Scripture. Uh, and so we have to know scriptures. The Bible is a Catholic book. We got it from the Catholic Church. Um, and so uh, Catholics need to, to really prioritize that book that God gave us, that love letter, so that we can come to know him in an intimate way and then share the love that he has for us with other people. Amen. Amen. I couldn't agree more. Sorry for looking away there for a second. I realized my computer was beeping at me and said it was about to die. So I had to reach over oh, and nice. grab the power cord. So I think I knocked over a light in the process. You did. Too, if you you saw definitely that. did. Well, that's all right. It didn't break. So that's okay. <laughs> but anyway, I want to move on to another question too. Um, you know, first of all, it's, it's more of a, just a curiosity I have. So I've seen some videos of you rapping. How did that come about, and, and, and how did that play into you just uh, reaching people that maybe otherwise you, you, you may not have been reaching before? Yeah, so um, growing up, my brother was a gangster rapper. Growing up, he was, in a, he was signed to a record label, and so, oh, wow. um, yeah, yeah, so I grew up um, uh, in that industry, um, and so I would go to the studio with my brother, and uh, it was not a good environment, I'll say that. Uh, it was uh, a bad environment, a dangerous environment um, to be in, but... But that was like my childhood. And so growing up, my brother was, uh, you know, a gangster rapper. And so I grew up rapping with all my friends in school. Um, I wanted to work for BET. Um, I, I tried out wow. to be a, a television host with BET. Uh, a show oh, called I didn't Wonders know that. Park. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I tried out to be a, a, a television host because I, I wanted to be a radio VJ. And um, it's just funny how the Lord, how he, um, when you when you say yes to a relationship with the Lord, sometimes we think he's asking us to let go of everything from our past. But often he wants to redeem it and renew it and then use it for his glory um, to draw people to him. And so like now I have the podcast Ask Father Josh. And, and I, I had sure. a, a radio show before that on Catholic Radio called um, Tell the World. So the Lord's been able to use that. But with rapping, um, whenever I uh, saw so rap growing up and never I didn't have a record deal. I wasn't that good. My brother was the, he was great, but I was OK. <laughs> I could just freestyle. And um, but I would rap growing up. And so I started rapping at like. Uh, conferences and youth events after my conversion at Steubenville, back to the church before seminary. And then as a seminarian, I continued to rap at different events and, and just reach out to a whole new demographic of people, right? Um, and, and, and praise God for that season when I was doing that because a number of people came back to confession. A number of people mm -hmm. came back to the Catholic church because of it. Uh, people came into the church through RCAA. So it was a very beautiful season. Uh, but I stopped doing it because it became... Um, a lot of people began to call me the rapping priest, and yeah. I, I, I don't I don't like that name. Sure. And people would invite me to like events just to rap and not to like hear confessions or celebrate mass. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm I'm a, I'm a priest. I would rather do con like confessions and mass than, than yeah, perform on sure. stage. And so I noticed that um, even though it did bear supernatural fruit for a season, it was becoming um, a distraction of my priesthood. Mm -hmm. And so. Um, I stop every now. Look, if I'm around a bunch of black Catholics, like at a conference, then there's probably a good chance that like, if we're hanging out, I might spit a few verses or whatever. But <laughs> in general, um, whenever I go to um, most events, I don't do it anymore just because it, it uh, I don't perceive the Holy Spirit inviting me there again. But if I sure. did perceive him invite me to go there again, I would. I'll go wherever he asked me to go. I love him. I love Jesus. And so whatever he asks, yeah. I'll do. I just don't think he's asking that of me in this season of my priesthood anymore. Well, I watched I watched a couple of videos. You were good at it, man. <laughs> Thanks. You know when I listened to it, I enjoyed watching it. But 
you know, you brought up something there a few minutes ago. You said black Catholics. And, and of course, we're talking about rap. But also, you know, right now, this is something I've heard you talk about with Father Mike Schmitz on a, on yeah. a show you guys did together. And just in general, I've seen some articles and things that you've been a part of. Right now, we're living in a, in a just a difficult time in the country. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't have to. You've probably been under a rock if you don't <laughs> know the things that are going on, right? But yeah. uh, it seems like every time you turn on the news, and I'm doing Exodus 90, so I'm not supposed to turn it on that much. But I do take a peek every once in a while. And you see on a lot of channels, no matter what the subject matter is, it's being called back to race or racism mm-hmm. or white supremacy or just just all sorts of narrative. That's, it's, it seems like our entire country is becoming about race. And yes, there are things that definitely need to be looked at for that. There are, We know we've seen over the last year some some things that happened with police and things like that that, that should never happen no matter what race you are or what color you yeah. are. But where do you, as a as a Catholic priest, in the middle of all of this, when and not just the race the race stuff, but also the the pulling back of, of policies against uh, you know that are that are pro abortion and things like that, what are you thinking now? What are you saying to people about yeah. this kind of stuff? Well, I mean, I think this is just it's a, a reflection of the church right now of how mediocre the American Catholic Church is, because yeah. if we were doing our job and making disciples of all nations and inviting everybody in our geographical boundaries to be in the presence of Jesus Christ in the Blessed Sacrament, then we would have a world and a society that has been transformed by the love of God. Um, mm. Whenever I was doing missionary work with Mother Teresa and her sisters in Calcutta, uh, every day we would have a holy hour in the morning, and then uh, we would go out and work in her home for the dying of the destitute in Calcutta and in the slums of Calcutta and all over. Then we'll come back in the evening for another holy hour. Um, and we have mass as well with the sisters. And there was a Lutheran seminarian who would go to Eucharistic Adoration um, with us after a long day of work. A lot of people volunteered with Mother Teresa's sisters in Calcutta. Uh, atheists were there, agnostics, wow. uh, uh, just people of all different backgrounds, Protestants. And, and this Lutheran seminarian was there. So he and I bonded. And uh, every day he'd walk into that chapel and he would just fall on his knees and adore the Eucharist. Now, as you know, Lutherans and Catholics have two different understandings of the of the Eucharist. Um, sure. We believe in transubstantiation. They believe in consubstantiation. So he would not believe as a Lutheran that that was Jesus's body, blood, soul, and divinity on the altar for Eucharistic adoration. Yet when he was on his knees in the presence of the Lord, the way he looked at God, I could tell that he he believed. And so mm. um, after being with him for a number of weeks, I finally asked him, I was like, hey, man, like, look, uh, I know you're Lutheran and we have different understandings of you know theology, but like the way you look at the Eucharist tells me that you believe as God. And he said, you know, I'm starting to believe it is God. Uh, wow. I'm, I'm, and the sisters never taught him. I never, I never catechized him myself. And it was just by being in the presence of the Eucharist that he was transformed. The soldier mm-hmm. at the foot of the cross who went to go pierce the heart of Jesus, um, whenever he was in the presence of the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, he became a believer. He was transformed. And so what we have in America is we have uh, the greatest gift ever, the Eucharist, that is um, being uh, denied to a lot of people as far as um, never being exposed to a lot of people, right? Um, a lot of our pastors and our parishes have never gone out to the geographical boundaries to invite all people to just sure. be in the presence of Jesus. And so uh, because of that, so uh, Dr. Martin King Jr., he said uh, back in 1960s, he said, you know, one of the biggest scandals and one of the most shameful um, aspects of America is that um, in Christian America, the most segregated hour to this day in the 1960s was 11 o'clock a.m. on Sunday morning. Um, and it's, it's still that way. But I would say that the problem is not a church problem. Like he saw it. I believe it's a Eucharist problem. 
because mm-hmm. I really do believe in the power of the Eucharist. I came back to the church because of the Eucharist. I perceive the invitation to the priesthood because of the Eucharist. I have so many young men and women who have said yes to their vocations because they were in the presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. And so I just honestly think a lot of our church leaders don't believe in the, the power of the Eucharist. And if they did, then they would be inviting every single person, black wow. and white and Asian and indigenous, um, rich and poor, male, female, young and old, every person in their neighborhoods to come and to visit Jesus Christ. And because we haven't done that, there's all this division. The Eucharist is, is the place of unity. Um, the, the Eucharist unifies the body of Christ, the church. And so because the church is divided, the world will be divided. Um, and mm-hmm. so we have a lot of division in the world, but it goes back to this is a Catholic church problem because we, um, as priests and as lay missionaries and as religious and as lay leaders um, and bishops, we're not doing what God has called us to do, to go out and make right. disciples of all nations. This is a discipleship problem. Um, if people are discipled into relationship with Christ, then then Christ heals all divisions. He restores um, everything that is broken. He heals wounds. Um, but we are not doing that right now in the church. And so because of that, we have seen so much uh, division across the racial divide from, you know, from slavery to today. Um, it's there and it's never been addressed well. Yeah. I mean, praise God for you saying that the way you just did. I mean, I wish more people would say what you just said about the lack of leadership in that department and, and the things that we've experienced as a people. You know, one other thing you just brought to mind, too, is it seems like you said there's a lack of discipleship. And oh, my what, goodness, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so what I see a lot is we go into our parishes and we stay there. You oh, don't yeah, see that, very many people anymore going out and That's taking the biblical. message they're receiving. Yeah. That is not biblical. In Acts chapter 2, the apostles, they were in their holy huddle. They all knew mm-hmm. Jesus. They all accompanied each other in their little small group of 12 or whatever, or 11 yeah. at that point. And and then Holy Spirit came upon them. And the very first thing that happened when they received the Holy Spirit was they went out to people mm. from Africa, Asia, and Europe. Right? They went out to people from Africa, Asia, and Europe, and they invited them into a relationship with Christ, and they transformed society, they transformed culture, the church transformed history. And, and what we're seeing a lot now is, and, and this goes out to my brother priest a lot, is they get in their parishes and they just focus on the people in the pews. And especially mm-hmm. whenever there's like a predominantly white um, parish with regards to registered parishioners that's mm-hmm. in a predominantly black neighborhood, um, and then the priests have never gone out to that predominantly black neighborhood, they say, oh, my church is... My church is dying. No one's coming here anymore. And I always ask them, well, did you ever walk outside your church and go knock yeah. on the doors and invite the black and brown people who live in your parish community to a Bible study, to RCIA, to work with you in your food pantry, to participate in your missions and retreats, to spend time in Eucharistic adoration, to come and just witness the mass? Have you mm-hmm. ever invited them? Well, no, I've never done that. I don't feel comfortable. I don't know them. Well, you better get comfortable because that's <laughs> you're a priest. That's, you're supposed to do that. And so sure. it's, a, it's a real big problem of discipleship. And, and until we um, all accompany each other in our relationship with Christ um, in, in the sacraments, we're never going to have um, – we're never going to have unity in the nation, right? It would be a false unity. It would be mm-hmm. fake because it can only be real if we really go out um, and do what God told us to do. And he said in the Bible, make disciples of all nations. And the word nations is translated into the word ethnos, which is ethnicities. And mm-hmm. in the American Catholic Church, we are just not seeing that today. And um, and so that that's, that's a place where I believe the Lord has called me to be a prophetic voice to invite people, to encourage people, and to convict people um, to to do that which God is asking us to do. 
Well, praise God for that. You know, you bring up another point too. You just every, listening to you, I just keep wanting to. You're, you're jogging these things within me to say. Um, you know, one of the things that I think we have a problem with in the church right now, just in my humble opinion, is that we're always trying to come up with something new, something new, some new new program, some new thing that's going to entice people in, right? I mean, sometimes I think you're going to look up one day in your parish, there's going to be a coffee bar and TV screens and all that stuff, just because it's work in other places, yeah. right? But, but what you just mentioned was, there was a way that worked. I mean, you and I wouldn't be sitting here today yeah, if it wasn't yeah. for those 11 men that went out and did, went out yeah. from their groups, left the places they were comfortable with and went out and, and, and were missionaries to folks. What do, you, what do you say about that? Like just this, it seems like we're constantly as a church looking for an answer that we already have. Yeah, programs have their place in the church, and methods also have their place, and projects have their place. But Pope Benedict XVI, he said that what's most important is that people have an encounter with a person. And the person mm-hmm. is Jesus. And so if we really believe that uh, we have the voice of Jesus Christ concretely with us in the, in the scriptures, and if we really believe that we have the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ um, with us in our tabernacles and our Catholic churches, then we have an obligation to go out and share that person, to share mm-hmm. him with the world. Um, and Jesus is the one who transforms hearts and minds. And as our hearts and minds are transformed, then we will be inspired by his grace to then look at what are some current policies, written rules in my in my neighborhood, in the, the businesses and institutions and organizations in my city or in my state um, that aren't just? We will be willing to then look at what are some practices, those, those are unwritten rules that are still being enforced in these organizations in my, even in my schools, my Catholic schools, that might be alienating members of the body of Christ, that might be putting up barriers for people in my community to come to know, love, and serve Jesus Christ. And we will work together to transform them, to rewrite them. Um, because if we don't transform these these practices and policies um, that still exist, they still have a new book coming out um, this summer with Ascension uh, on this very topic of race and discipleship. Wow. And, and I give example after example of current practices and current policies that still exist today in the United States of America that discriminate against black people. Um, and if Catholics would take the charge, um, uh, white Catholics, working together with black Catholics and brown Catholics and indigenous people of color, all people together work together, then we can see um, we can see real transformation happen in those sectors. And then more people will be invited to the table, more people will be invited to a relationship with God and sacraments who currently aren't coming because like, you know what, like um, I'm being denied access and no one's saying anything, sure. no one's speaking up for me. So um, as we go out and really do the, the real work of discipleship, uh, the Lord will, will inspire us to to transform our society and to build uh, what St. John Paul II um, and many posts before him called, I think Pope Paul VI began this term phrase, a civilization of love. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's what, that's what the Lord wants. He wants there to be unity. He prayed in John 17, Father, may, may they be one as we are one. one. And so uh, that can only happen whenever, whenever we uh, do the work that God has given us, commanded us to do. Yeah. Amen. Man, I can't wait to read that book. I'm so glad you yeah. told me about that. I'll be looking for that when it comes out in yeah. the summer. Uh, you know, speaking of, of books, you know, I mentioned in the beginning of the interview that you just came out with this uh, pocket guide to the sacrament of reconciliation. Yeah. And as you know, there's a lot of men that listen to the show. There's some women too, but a lot of men listen to this because we talk about 
the things that everyday guys deal with. I think that's actually what attracts a lot of guys to it yeah. is that we're talking about things like struggling with anger, struggling with porn, struggling with addiction, all of these different things. And, and, and really trying to shed light on the fact that we're not walking in these things alone. You know, the devil likes to convince us that we're the only one with a drinking problem or the only right. one that ever watches porn. And, yeah. and so it keeps us away from the sacrament of confession. And, and you know how that can happen. You know, you mentioned yourself, how it had been years since you'd been to confession and it was just going to, you know, ask for your mercy and your forgiveness for a minute, but not really ever renouncing a sin possibly, right, right. Uh, which seems to be a, a huge problem too. But I want to go there for a minute. Like there's some questions in the book you guys answer. And I know for one, uh, I looked at a couple of them and wrote them down here. How do I make a true examination of, of conscience? Like what do, you, what do you guys have to say about that in the book? Yeah. So I, I think there's two things that you might find really helpful when it comes to examining your conscience. Number one is leaning into scripture. Uh, there's no way you can read the Bible and, mm-hmm. and not be convicted. Uh, it's like, it's like wake up in the morning. Uh, when I, here's a confession. When I wake up in the morning, I have like that stuff in my eye. And, mm-hmm. uh, when I used to have hair, uh, I cut it now, but I, my hair would be like, <laughs> it'd be stuck on one, one place. And, but there was things about my face. I would never notice unless I looked in the mirror in the morning. And then yeah. by looking in the mirror in the morning, when I go to brush my teeth, I'm like, Oh man, I got I gotta get this together. I gotta, I gotta get the crust out of my eyes, all that jazz or whatever. Um, and so the mirror showed me things about myself that I didn't see. And so the same rule applies mm-hmm. in scripture. Whenever we read the word of God, whenever I read the Bible, I am always inspired and I'm motivated and I'm, and I'm convicted in a good way. I'm like, oh man, I didn't even realize I was doing that. I didn't realize sure. that, that I wasn't being compassionate or that I, that I was brooding or that I was being impatient right there or that, oh man, I didn't, so some people are like, I didn't know drinking, getting drunk was a sin, you know? Um, and yeah. So there's all these different things that the word of God, if we read the scripture, we see the life of Christ, we recognize, oh man, I could grow in that area, in that place, in that space in my walk with the Lord. So number one is we invite you to discern your sins um, through Scripture, um, through, through the Word of God, allowing the Word of God to be a lens through which we we see uh, where we're doing really good at and where we could grow at. But also the, another encouragement is to invest in people in your community. Um, St. John the Cross, he, he writes that, uh, especially to like religious uh, friars, he says, God didn't call you to the monastery um, to be comfortable and to live a life of ease. Like he, he called you here to be purged and to be chiseled at. You're like a stone that needs to be chiseled. And so yeah. your community that you live with is going to chisel you. And so it's important for us to also invest in real healthy and holy and vulnerable relationships, especially as guys with other men who can hold us accountable, but then to also invite our wives, if we're married and our kids, mm-hmm. if we're parents, um, to, to tell us, how am I doing as a husband? Like tell sure. me how I failed you. Uh, how have I not loved you well? How have I not been present to you as a father? Um, and, and our community, our coworkers, they can also be used by God to help us to see uh, where, again, where we're doing really well at and where we are hurting the body of Christ, where we're not imitating Jesus Christ um, in our thoughts or in our words or in our actions. And so, well, Mike Schmitz and I, we give some practical um, examinations as well based on the seven deadly sins that you and I can talk about when we do that special um, sure. for the patrons, I think. Um, yeah. But yeah, so we uh, we give a lot of practical, very easy tools to see, oh, wow, like this is where uh, I'm definitely not being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Sure. Well, you paint a beautiful picture there because I think some, so many times we separate scripture over here. This is my scripture time and this is my prayer time and this is my confession time. And they're really all meant as you're painting here to go together to, yeah. to lend support to the other community as well. Um, you know, something else that guys talk about a lot here, um, you know, and I've heard it a million times where guys, we talking about, you know, we're talking about confession and 
I just don't want to go because I've gone and I've said the same thing again and again and again. And I keep doing it and I'm embarrassed. And I know the priest says he doesn't remember, but I think he does. And so I don't, <laughs> you know, so I don't want to go because I'm tired of telling him I'm struggling with, you know, impurity of self or whatever it is. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that, that don't look at it as, you know, they look at it as I'm embarrassed, but they're not looking at it as um, I'm trying to get to the root of the sin. And that's something else I saw you yeah. guys address in the book too, is why am I doing this? Not just like, I know myself, yeah. I've gone in and talked to the priest and said, well, it happened again, father, you know, I lost my temper and I yelled at the kids and I yelled at my wife and I'm conf- like, I'm telling the story, but I'm never really like getting yeah. to what, what the problem was. Yeah. So we all have, we all have a dominant fault, fault a dominant vice that typically feeds all the minor vices. Uh, one of my most powerful confessions, I went to a priest by the name of father Mark Toops. And, um, after, uh, or during the confession, um, instead of just giving me a penance, he said, what preceded your fall? Mm. He said, what preceded your sin? And I'd never thought about that. I, said, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, and so <laughs> he said, I want to, I want to invite you to sit with that. And so as I sat with that, like, so say if my sin, um, say if the sin was pornography, right? So a lot of guys mm-hmm. struggle with pornography or masturbation or, or if gossip or, or, or gluttony with alcohol, getting drunk. So you have pornography, you have gossip or you have, um, uh, indulging in too much alcohol. And so you go to confession, you bring it to the light, to the priest, and and you say, okay, well, what happened this week? Because it's been a month since my confession, and I didn't look at porn three weeks ago. I didn't get drunk three weeks ago. I didn't gossip three weeks ago. So what was about this week? What, what preceded my fall? Well, mm-hmm. if you look at your schedule, maybe what preceded the fall was uh, you were physically exhausted. You were really tired. And whenever yeah. we're tired, we're a lot more weak. We're prone to sin. Okay, all right, so that's, that's good. But why am I tired is the next question. Like, we can stay on the surface and say, oh, well, Father, I, I sinned because I was tired. But why was I tired? Because there's, there's sure. a vice under there. Well, I, I was probably tired because I said yes to every invitation I got this week. Wow. I said yes <laughs> to I said yes to going to my neighbor's house to having a beer. Um, I said yes to going to a party with my coworkers. I said yes to uh, watching um, a, a, a game with my kids at night far beyond their bedtime. I said, I said yes to, to, to doing another ministry at the church. I've already overextended myself at the church. I, mm-hmm. I said, I said yes to, um, all is all is for yes. Okay. So why did I say so many yeses? All right. Cause that's prideful, right? You're not reversing yeah. limitations there. Okay. So why so many yeses? Probably because deep down, um, maybe I'm, I'm afraid of rejection. I'm afraid mm-hmm. that if I, if I say no to my coworkers and they're never going to invite me to uh, a work party again, I feel like if I say no to my, my neighbor, then they're going to invite other people to the house to have beers, but they're never going to invite me again. If I say no to my kids, then they're not going to, they're not going to like have uh, affection for me anymore. They're not going to appreciate me anymore. If I say no to my, my wife, then, then she's going to resent me. And so, because I don't, if I say no to my pastor, he's not going to uh, uh, ever invite me to do anything in the church again. So I'm afraid sure. of no. Okay. So why am I afraid of no? Uh, Okay, let's go deeper. I think I'm I'm afraid of, of rejection because if I'm honest, God's not enough for me. Jesus wow. Christ is not sufficient. Right? I, I I want hmm. Jesus, but I also want Jesus and the approval of my, my children. I want Jesus and the affection of my wife. I want Jesus and the affirmation of my pastor. I want Jesus and the acknowledgement of my neighbors and my peers at work. I want Jesus and yeah. all those other passing things. And so, okay, now we're getting to the root. Why is Jesus Christ not enough? Tell me about this week. Why would he not be enough for you this week, but the three weeks before this week he was? You know, Father, I guess if I look at my schedule, I was so busy, I didn't even pray this week. Yeah. I didn't prioritize any time with Jesus in the Bible. I didn't pray. 
And because I, or, or if I did pray, it was like literally like, uh, I love you, God. Thank you for the day and take care of my family. But it wasn't a, a conversation. It wasn't a dialogue. It was a monologue. So I didn't have a, I didn't, I didn't prioritize God and give him one on one time. And so the vice is sloth. So the vice said, so you confess gossip or you confess pornography, masturbation, or you confess getting drunk, but it's all rooted in sloth, right? That's what King David struggled with. Remember King David, he was slothful. (laughs) He didn't go to war with his men. And then because of his laziness, he had idle time. His idle time led to him looking at Bathsheba, lusting after Bathsheba, having sex with Bathsheba, killing her husband, getting him drunk. All his vices came from that, that, right? So so then you can go deep to the core of like, wow, so so my dominant vice is sloth. And for different saints, every saint has different um, predominant faults. Um, but once you discern yours, so if, if it's sloth, if it's uh, being lazy with regards to your spiritual life, then you know, how do I combat sloth? Well, it's by being virtuous, by having a structured, ordered, practical, keepable rule of life that where I can have friends hold me accountable to my time with God in prayer. And then once that is set and that is happening and you're accountable to that, then you'll begin to see over time, might not be overnight, but over time you'll begin to realize that you're growing in virtue and um, you're finding freedom from some of these um, sins that you confess on the surface that are actually rooted in a, one of the deadly sins um, in its core. Wow. What an answer. I mean, that's, that's a lot to think about there. And I mean, there's so much truth in that. I, just that part about David. I mean, I don't think I've ever really thought about that, that, that all of that was caused because of his slothfulness. I mean, that, that's yeah. just crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, one other one I want to ask you about, because it just, I think some people may deal with this too, is what do I do if I don't feel sorry for my sins? Like, and, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know that I haven't ever felt sorry for my sin, but like, I, I know that sometimes I've used the confessional as a car wash, right? Like yeah. just to feel better mm-hmm. and to get clean. So there's two different things. There's perfect contrition and there's imperfect contrition. And so perfect contrition is like the, the woman who washed Jesus' feet. And, and broke the, the oil over his feet and everything. Um, Mary Magdalene. So she had perfect contrition. Uh, she mm-hmm. felt she felt sorry. But uh, we have to keep in mind that even if we don't feel sorry, um, if we want to stop sinning, if we want to change our ways, um, a, that that's that's good enough. We don't have to feel feel the sorry uh, the sorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of that, um, even if you go to confession, just because like say you want to receive communion. So like you're like, man, I got a wife and I got kids and I know I shouldn't go to communion this week because I looked at pornography or I shouldn't go to communion this week because I got drunk uh, the night before. Or I shouldn't go to communion because um, I was wrathful and I, I cursed at people while I was driving. Right. So sure. I probably shouldn't go to communion. Right. But um, so then you go to confession. See, follow before he's walking to church. See, follow quick confession. You snag and you go to confession. Um, even if you're going to confession just to receive the sacraments, like God's fine with that. Like that's not perfect contrition. Like the go- that's not the goal. The goal is to want to uh, be in perfect communion with God, to abide in relationship with God, whether or not we'll ever receive from the Holy Community again. However, if the reason why I'm going is because I I I want to receive communion, I I want to get something out of it, then God will still say that that's that's good enough for me. You can still come. You still receive my love. You still receive my mercy. And so, whether you feel sorry or not, as long as you make a firm resolution to avoid the near occasion of sin. Um, and to try your best to sin no more, um, then that's good enough for God. Wow. And I can't wait to read that book too. You made me want to order it today and just see what the rest of the stuff is you guys are talking about. Um, you know, Father Josh, it's been great to be here with you this afternoon. You've spent a lot of time with us. I know you're a busy guy, so I thank you for all of that. Can you take just a second and tell folks what you've got going on, where they can find Ask Father Josh and some of the other things you're doing? 
Yeah, so a few things. Uh, we'll start with uh, the parish. I'm a pastor of Holy Rosary, Catholic Church in Santa Maria, Louisiana, Diocese of Baton Rouge. And so if you're ever in town, come and worship with us. Um, awesome. uh, we'll, we'll love to have you join us. I'm the vocation director for the diocese as well. We have a new free ebook available for Lent. Um, uh, it's called A Rosary Novena for a Healthy and Holy Vocations to the Priesthood and Religious Life uh, for the Diocese of Baton Rouge. So basically, every day there's um, a male saint, a female saint, priest, and a religious. Um, who can inspire us and who can show us that it's possible to experience a lot of pain and suffering but still be really holy and transform your land. And so we invite people during Lent to fast every day. Pick one day of fasting outside of Ash Wednesday and Good Friday with your community. And so if you and 39 other people can each commit to one day of fasting and do it for the intention of healthy, holy vocations to the priesthood and religious life. And then while you're fasting, have a sign-up sheet available and have your community prayer rosary for you to sustain you in your fast. So that's one thing we're doing through the vocations office. If you think about being a priest, you're from my land, hit me up so I can walk with you and accompany you to your discernment. Um, uh, as far as outside ministry, I work with Ascension Press. And so we have Ask Father Josh podcast that's available on iTunes um, and all the other podcast formats. Uh, I also uh, have a few books out, like you mentioned, Broken and Blessed, Pocket Guide to Adoration, Pocket Guide to the Sacrament of Reconciliation and Holy Black Catholics uh, on the Path of Sainthood. And then I have a new book coming out this summer on race and discipleship that I'm super excited about. Five years been writing that book, so I'm super wow. excited about that one. Uh, it's my baby. And <laughs> other than that, uh, you can uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at FR Josh Johnson. That's Father Josh Johnson, um, where I post frequently about a lot of stuff. And, uh, <laughs> and just pray for me. And if you don't ever see me on earth, that's fine. Uh, I will always be with you in the Eucharist, uh, and I hope and pray if we don't meet on earth, then we can definitely meet in heaven. So pray and fast me that I'll be a saint and I won't go to hell. Amen. I, I know we'll do that for you for sure. Father, would you mind giving us a blessing as we close out here? Yeah. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with his kindness and fill you with his peace. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Amen. Thanks be to God. Thank you, my friend. Father Josh, thank you for your time. been a pleasure to have you, and I can't wait to see what you got coming out this summer, too. So take awesome. care. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, brother.